All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Stroke of Light, hosted by Jake Chen, followed by Ion China, Natalie's weekly look at affairs across the Taiwan Strait, and a Chinese lesson for you at the end on Chinese to Go. But first up, as always, we start off with Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, January 24th. I'm John Van Trieste, and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Shirley Lin. Hi, John. And Paula Chow. Hello. Up next week, we start off with a bit of a downer, a tragic Taiwanese story that's made the international headlines. Then a new airline that has gotten thousands of applications without, well, only a really few jobs to spare. And then, the end of the year banquet, we, ret we return to this theme once again. Does it equal overtime? We'll be hearing why some employees think the answer is yes. All that coming up next. Please stick around. We'll get the sad news out of the way first. Um, it always seems like when Taiwan is in the international news, it's never for a good reason, is it? I mean, there yeah. are sometimes, unless it's like one of those travel articles that's like, try stinky tofu, or 10, <laughs> 10 reasons why stinky tofu is good for you. Other than that, it's tragedy. Uh, we have another one. Right. This is a story about a, a, a hiker, uh, or she called herself a bikini hiker, or a bikini climber. Or her name is Gigi Wu. Um, she died um, earlier this week after uh, falling into a 20-meter valley near a mountain in central Taiwan. Mm. And she's an experienced hiker, and she's also an amateur uh, mountaineer but uh, people say that she's very she they call her an experienced hiker and, and also an inspirational one why is that uh, that that's because she um went to she explored different like a uh, new routes she 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 explored she, like, different places right she explored them or like she trailblazed through them for the first time like i think she, yes yes she, she cut her way through the right. bush and developed a new route wow right she's known as a bikini uh, climbers because she was, was best known this. <laughs> for posting bikini clad photos from mountain summits so does she always hike in a bikini because it looks like that all the photos of her were dressed i mean that's cold not in the bikini but she will uh, once she reached the top she changes I, right she changed that okay anyway she did that because um she got the idea um a couple years ago because after losing a bet with a friend Really? Yes, that's how she, uh, you know, got started. So if yeah, you lose the, the bet, you, if you lose the bet, you have to change into a bikini on a mountaintop. That's a yeah, weird bet. Yeah, take a picture, take a selfie. Right. Oh, yeah. take a selfie. Oh, I guess right. that's not so bad. But people yeah. say that you know, some mountaineers said they, um, the public actually misunderstood her. You know, they said the um, Gigi Wu, she is very warm, and then she always carried the trash with her. Really? Right. And then also, she is um, extremely helpful. She will help other uh, mountain climbers. Um, she will uh, help carry their equipment. Wow. And she's quite... Wow. Um, she, and, and they say that no one is uh, loves Taiwan's mountain. You as know. much as she does. Right. Or did. 
Mm. Sorry. Yes. Well, you know, but one um, uh, experience of mountain climbers that we also learned something from, you know, her death is because she was all alone on the multi-day tour in Yushan National Park, which is uh, home to Taiwan's highest mountain, and which reached almost four thousand meters. Yeah, it's over mm-hmm. three thousand. Right. Yeah. Wow. I was going to say, what a very inspirational person that sounds like. I read somewhere that she actually already climbed 100 summits and she... And and she has won like ninety ninety six bikinis or something like that. Really, yeah. yeah. We should, you know, for those who don't know, the hundred summits in Taiwan because we've talked about that recently on this very same program is a list of a hundred mountains that are deemed especially challenging or interesting to climb. And sort of, it's like the uh, sort of the Pokemon of the mountain climbing world. Oh, yeah. You've got to climb them all to be really a real true hiker. So, mm-hmm. wow, what a loss. seems to be a recurring theme in Taiwan. Uh, Whenever an airline puts out recruitment ads for flight attendants, they get swamped with applications. I've often wondered why that is. Is is being a flight attendant considered especially glamorous here? I would think so. Yeah, I guess glamorous is one thing. Also, um, a good paycheck is in there. Is that also right? Yeah, and you got to travel the world. (laughs) Okay, I'm just maybe not a fan of flying. Maybe that's why. It doesn't appeal to me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's happened again. A new airline, a new Taiwanese airline is starting up. I don't think it started yet. And uh, they've already received thousands of applications. Right. They will start the commercial operations next year. The airline is called Starlux Airlines. And then they are looking for 120 um, flight attendants, experienced flight attendants. So far, they have received over 8,100 applications. So um, the chance of getting the job is only 1.4%. Wow, you could like get into some top universities. I don't know. Maybe I wonder what qualifications you're looking for. Win some kind of lower level lottery prize. So better chances of doing any of those things, I guess. Yes, but, but they're they, asking for experience. Experience. You you must have attendance. some experience. You, well, these are some of the um, you know requirements. You have to be a, citizen, a Taiwanese citizens. You have to have a college education. I don't know why you know they need um, a college education. I'm well, sure. I'm sure they know. do. I'm sure just uh, they want well-rounded people. I guess. Yeah, I, don't know. I guess that's so. it. That's and it. And they also um, need. Um, they also need their flight attendants to be able to speak English, and they sh- uh, they need uh, someone who have at least three years of flight attendant experience. Or if you have work in the f- uh, in the service industry, you must have at least two years okay. experience. We've got eight thousand people who've already been flight attendants before for some know. other airlines or uh, some other countries. Maybe wow, there, that's maybe, a big number. Maybe there are people out there who just. Keep trying. They never give up on their dreams. You <laughs> right. know. But of the 8,100 um, applicants, women make up 80%. And okay. men make up 20%. I wonder why that is. Like, I have male friends who are flight attendants. Mm-hmm. I, I um, guess, you They'll know, be the captain. No, no, no. no. They're a cabin oh. crew. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I don't get it, but... I guess to be a flight attendant, maybe, I mean, in Taiwan, the paycheck is good. Also, it offers you the opportunity to, to travel around the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is the gender imbalance I don't get. Mm. I don't know. It's 2018, uh, 2019 now, people. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. It's a service industry, and I don't know. Females seems to be more attractive to that job. It well, just seemed like... I don't know. It's, it's 
carved that way. But they seem, from an article that I read about them, uh, they seem to have their eyes set on the Southeast Asian market and connecting North America. I may be misremembering this, but uh, an article I read said that that's sort of what they want. They want people to like transit on their way from North America to Southeast Asia in Taiwan, mm. which actually isn't bad because I don't know. If, it's not easy to, you have to do some kind of stopover to do that, I think. Yeah. As it is. So it might as well uh, be Taiwan, right? Right. Spend right. a day or two in Taipei and get Why to know not? the place. Yeah. Yes. Well, Best of luck to these uh, would-be flight attendants. I'm sure a few of them are going to have, you know, find their golden ticket, right? Well, John, there are people who love flying. <laughs> not yeah, like not, you. not me. <laughs> And on to another frequently recurring topic on this program, at least lately, the end-of-the-year banquet, the Wei Ya. It's mm. supposed to be a way for employers to kind of show their gratitude for our, their employees for a hard year's work. It's a reward. Uh, there's cash prizes, food, usually very high-end food. Ours mm-hmm. certainly is. Yeah, and, um, it was good this year. Entertainment, you yes. know. All kinds of fun and exciting things. But why do some people find it a chore, Shirley? Yeah, well, there are some employees who are saying that, all right, if it's meant to show appreciation for the employees for a whole year of work, then why are, do they have to be forced on stage to do some kind of entertainment, some kind of performance? Oh. Shouldn't it be the boss that should be up there? kind of doing a show and, you know, and let the employees have a good meal, have some fun, you know, so you think that that's, it's not enjoyable mm. if uh, they have to think about rehearsals and, you know, like rehearse like way ahead of time and right. put on makeup and all that. It's chore. They think that's like overtime work. But our right. boss did, did it. Our know? bosses did go up on right. stage this year. They that's right. Yeah. Right. You know, and they're all supervisors and, you know. Yes, yes. Their dance routines, their dance. I mean, I wouldn't want to be recorded doing the kind of dance routines they were doing. It was very awkward. But um, uh, yeah, we did mention, I think, on this program recently the things that employees like and don't like about these parties. And uh, as you said, getting up on stage was one of every the least favorites. And and uh, that surprises me because we always have a lot of volunteers here. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we're different. I'm we saying. have some outgoing. I mean, I guess you have to be to be. Mm-hmm. Talking to an audience all the time, right? Right. Uh, and like some of them are really good dancers too, even, right? And, right. And singers. Like we have some talented people here. I don't know. What do you think about it? You've, you, well, you and I actually have been up there a few times. Oh, I know. Well, I think it's fun. I mean, I enjoyed it. Do you and find the it thing a chore? Is, I mean, I told everybody that it's not like we're trying to be trying to get the first place. Just being on stage is an encouragement to everybody. It's just for the fun of it. Yeah, for the fun of it. It's exactly. not about winning the prize, right? Now, um, for some people, though, for some companies, though, it's more than just entertaining and everything. Sometimes the bosses force um, these employees to kind of serve um, these other departments because they say, for example, the sales department, they're the, they're the hard workers, you know, they, they have a hard time this year. So you, you go serve, make sure that they have enough drinks on their table, make sure that's that they're... insulting. You know, yeah. So that's what it's saying because some companies, some bosses, apparently, they do that. Some employees naturally, you know, you get complaints from them. And also, like I was saying, they're saying, okay, they're always telling us, get a new show, get something new up there and, you know, do a show. You've got to. I'm forcing you. But why, why wouldn't be the bosses be on stage and doing the shows? Although that's different for RTI. So, you know, which we're doing good. We we're doing do good. have bosses yes. doing our shows. I'm, I'm glad that they're willing to, like, put themselves out there like that. It's for yeah. our amusement. <laughs> right. And then um, there are other way yes would actually um, employ some entertainments from 
um, outside. Yeah, really professionals. Professionals. They get, they get like a real act. I'm sure there's like a whole end of year banquet circuit that people do this time of year. It's yeah, like Christmas gigs in yes, the West. But and only it, money-making companies have the what the financial resources to hire really, those. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I mean, these are good bosses. I seem <laughs> to remember there was somebody dancing who wasn't from here this year. I don't know if that was one of the employee's kids or somebody who had apparently been on the talent show. Uh, oh. Did you miss that? Uh, no, you mean last year? No, 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 this year. This and then year? last year there was. Oh, a, I missed that. Sorry. Remember the jazz band they had last year? So they. Yeah. They're, they're doing some hiring of outside. You're people. right. I think we try different things, don't we? It's, yeah. It just depends on the year. You yeah, everyone's mood. It depends mood. on a boss. <laughs> and everyone's mood. And as the budget. Well. So. So. And you know, it's funny because some companies apparently they'll pay you if you show up at the way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So they do treat it like overtime. <laughs> Um, maybe they don't have everybody attending, you know. So that's a way to get everybody to come, and and, and of course, you know, it's always it's really great because as long as we're willing to go on stage, we get paid too, right? We that's, get a little red packet. It's like a participation prize, yes, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. Well, the thing that I think keeps people besides the food at ours is the fact that if you leave and they pull out your name during the drawing of the cash prizes, you don't get anything. Oh yeah, so everyone like certain rules. stays to the end every time. <laughs> Good thing. Okay, John, earlier you mentioned that um, our supervisors dance and sing songs for us for our amusement, but that's only once every year. That's right? true. So I guess, you know, even it's a sacrifice for them, but they, you know, <laughs> I think they should do it. That was a good well, it's, it's their word to show an appreciation for our hard work for a whole year, right? Yeah, It's exactly. by going on stage and performing for us instead. <laughs> Well, that just about wraps it up for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Shirley Lin. And I'm Paula Chow. Don't go anywhere just yet. We've got Stroke of Light, Eye on China, and Chinese to Go coming your way next. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Stroke of Light, a portrait of Taiwan through the eyes of painters, sculptors, filmmakers, and photographers. Hello, 
and welcome back to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. This week, we'll continue our conversation with Taipei local singer and performer Wu Yue. Last week, we talked to him about his upbringing and the inspiration behind his songwriting. When I was young, he would often take me to the Huolang or 古月 told us that his father, an established artist and painter in the brush painting discipline, was one of the biggest artistic influence for him growing up. But before he grew to be the singer and songwriter that he is today, he had a previous career as a dancer. What you heard is Wu Yue dancing on the stage at one of the biggest entertainment shows in Taiwan. He tells me that he played a band briefly in middle school, and after suffering some damage to his throat, he began to invest a lot of time and energy into dancing. It was a challenging and arduous few years at first. But after putting in the work, he and his team finally managed to make a name for themselves. After winning several local contests, they soon got recognized, and more and more, they got the opportunity to perform on bigger stages, like the one we just heard earlier. And his crew even got to travel around to several cities in China, as well as to Singapore, to perform for other crowds. 后来我就是到了二十八岁、二十七岁的时候受伤了。跳舞就是。However, his rising dancing career came to an abrupt end four years ago. At age twenty-eight, Wu Yue suffered a severe tear to one of his ligaments. It was a devastating injury and clearly career-ending for somebody who relies on doing complex and explosive movements for a living. But. Without dwelling on the injury for too long, Wu decided to pick up his guitar and continue to channel his artistic and creative energy through music. My name is Wu Yue. I'm standing here to tell you my name is Wu Yue. Tell me the difference between people and me. I don't think it will let anyone down. Even if everyone does not let me down, I don't care where I come from. It doesn't matter because I know where I'm going. I'm who I am. 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 我为了我的目标，我往前往前往上闯荡，直到我的老乡不会辜
服我，因为我知道我自己可以做到最好。我已不抽烟，我已不抽烟，我已不喝酒，也不再吸烟。我把那些东西全部都排除在外面。我为了我的音乐，我全部牺牲都没关系，因为我要做到我自己心中的那块天地，让大家知道最的好。因为我知道快快要达到我传说中的桃花源。啊、uh, ，绝对不会放弃自己，像是人缘，知道自己人缘不好，不过还要继续往前跑。就算身上没有玉玺，没有含着金汤匙，没有含着玉出生，出生平民没有关系，继续往前做就会走到前方。啊、uh, ，坚持自己做个平凡的人，啊、uh, ，做点卤味，继续做点音乐，把这所有事情。平凡做得好，每一件事做得好，就会达到最高的高度。我希望可以到达那个人生的高峰，看到所有的浪潮，所有浪打在前方，死在沙滩上。不过我还是活在沙滩上，继续躺我，我躺在这里，阳光星空。嗯，我看着北斗七星，他在为我点头。我的母亲，她正在天上，她在星空中。我不知她那个方向，她就在我心中。他也许就在我的空气中，在当我吸吐的时候，不过绝对不会忘记我的目标，我的梦。当我呼吸在我身上，只要我没有停止我的呼吸，我不会忘记我的方向，绝对不会停止闯荡，不会忘记方向。只要我还有呼吸，只要我还有呼吸，啊，只要我还有呼吸。不会忘记我的方向，继续努力。He performed an impromptu rap in the studio, which was quite a surprise to me. 因为跳舞让我学会了即兴舞蹈，那我们要编舞。He tells me that although he no longer dances on a regular basis, he still carried a lot of what he learned from that experience when writing music. He says that. The spirit of feeling something at the moment and having it manifest in the form of a tune is not so different from that of creating a dance routine. And he applied the same passion, discipline, and drive to writing and creating music. In terms of ideas, there's never a shortage of that from Chinese culture, in which he has been immersed for so many years. Li Bai's this kind of hope. 但是又自私。Wu Yue tells me that he doesn't even know where to begin about all the stories and folklores that he had read in books. He says one particular story really struck a chord with him when he first read it. It was about Li Bai, the famous poet from Tang Dynasty. He says he wrote a song about one of the legendary tales of Li. The story goes that the emperor was holding a feast one day on his ship, and he has invited officials from all branches of the government on board to celebrate alongside with him. Then, he also asked Li to get on board to write an impromptu poem. It was the emperor's order, and very few, if any, at the time and under that system, had the guts to turn down an order like that. Li Dou was a special person indeed. He said no to it, saying that he was enjoying his own drinking too much. The story, true or not, inspired one of the most well-known saying in Chinese language. The saying goes, "Tian zi hu lai bu shang chuan, zi chong chen shi jiu zhong xian," which means, 
Despite the emperor's order, I'm not getting on the ship because I am at ease in my own world. It is an intriguing sentence that embraces and celebrates the spirit of freedom and defiance. It resonates through the centuries, and today, it manifests in the latest form in a song that Wu Yue has written. Thank you for listening to Stroke of Light. I'm Jake Chen. Talk to you next week. Eye on China: First-hand perspectives on a quickly changing society.
Hello and welcome to Eye on China. I'm Natalie So. Is the Chinese education system the best or the worst in the world? Today I talk with Professor Yong Zhao, the author of Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Dragon? Why China has the best and worst education system in the world. Professor Zhao tells us about the heart of China's education system. I don't think China truly has a history of education. It's a history of test preparation. It's basically started with the great emperors wanting obedient government officials and subjects so were easier to govern. And so they invented this thing called imperial exam as one way to lure anybody who has uh, different opinions or potential to rise against uh, the ruling order to um, spend their time preparing for the emperor's test. And uh, the reward is quite handsome, but also at the same time, very few people succeed. Despite you know, the low um, rate of success, there's still hope. So a lot of people pour in their time and resources in preparing for the tests, and then that evolves the mindset of all education is about identifying different ways or whatever you need to do to satisfy the emperor. Now, I think the government's desire to select you know, people based on whatever criteria they determine and henceforth the whole entire industry of education history is about preparing people to pass tests. I mean, I know that a lot of uh, Chinese people say this is the only fair way to allow social mobility because there's so much um, nepotism and corruption. If there wasn't mm-hmm. a standardized test, then, you know, people would just be able to get into universities through their connections. Well, in a society like, like that, because, I mean, there was not much diversity and so you have the government controlling all the, uh, the means for social mobility, which is, I think, uh, problematic. So when a government dictates how people should advance, that's very problematic. And of course, in that sense, you allow one person to control it, and one person can only use one way to select people, and this happens to be the most transparent and objective way. Well, do you think there are any things that the West should learn from the uh, Chinese mentality towards education? No, I, I'm, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, really, I think the, the Chinese education system, if, it, if, if there were a system, I, again, I call it test preparation system, has proven to be uh, not working, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago. If it had worked, uh, you would not have uh, the opium war. <laughs> you probably would not have uh, 150 years of trying to catch up to the West. Hmm. What about the hard work and diligence of, and the drive of, of Chinese students? Well, they, you know, think about Western culture, the Puritans, you know, they are, or they are, they are the Protestants, you know, or the, the West. I think every culture has hard work and habits. I think every culture actually is hard work at something, something that matters. You look at China, the Chinese are very good hard working at uh, reciting, memorizing, um, but they are not really uh, so hard working at uh, coming up with uh, different ideas or challenging the authority. But some people think that, you know, American students are too lazy, you know, they're not spending enough time in mm-hmm. school. What would you say about that? Well, they may be too lazy being a good student, but they are not necessarily lazy at something they might be interested in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you wouldn't say anybody who come up with new ideas can be lazy. You, you, you can't be exactly as lazy. I think they work very hard at exploring different kind of things and their interest. I think we mistake, you know, the idea about um, 
lot of sweat. Hard work sometimes can be just simply a dumb and stupid repetition of things. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't. It means you 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 know you spend all your four hours uh, doing some homework, which doesn't mean much. Uh, rather, you know, maybe exploring something. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you grew up in China, right? You were educated I, I did, in China. Yes. Yes, I grew up in Sichuan province. And you were educated through the Chinese system? Yeah. So how come you are so enlightened and <laughs> able to... Well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a failure in the Chinese system. <laughs> I said, I'm a, a, you know, a, in many ways, I, I grew up in a village. I, first of all, I'm a, a failed peasant. I was supposed to be a peasant, but didn't work out for me. And uh, I went to school in the, during the Cultural Revolution in the countryside. At that time, there was no pathway to college, so there was no pressure. I was really truly pursuing what I was I, I was interested in doing, but I was not uh, forced to do anything at that time, so I don't think I had a great Chinese education necessarily, but I indeed had a good education by accident. So then you found your own way. You, you studied English in um, university, right? Yes, and actually speaking of that, like I said, you know, when you talk about enhance your strength and run away from your weaknesses, I chose to major in English not because I was interested in English, by the way. I was actually simply bad at math. So, I mean, and that, when you think about this, is uh, uh, what, uh, what, what, what does mean by being a good student? means you do whatever other people tell you in the way they want you to do it. Yeah, it sounds pretty boring, right? Exactly. I mean, sometimes I view the, the Asian education system, again, Chinese, Korean, Hong Kong, Taiwan, very much like uh, brick layers. You have to lay so many bricks. And looks working very hard, but it's not necessarily invite you to do something else. You're not mm-hmm. uh, inventing. Why you're laying bricks, we don't know. So, uh, I know that, you know, like in Taiwan and, and China as well, they're trying to do education reform. But it seems very hard to kill this old culture and mentality. Oh yeah, I mean that's why I'm, I'm, I'm I write the book to praise I think all the Asian efforts. The Asians are very aware of their, you know, the, the problems, but uh, at the same time I think uh, it's extremely difficult to abandon the uh, the idea because again I think people are very utilitarian. We want a sure way for our children's future, and what's more sure than laying out a race course. You know, you finish this, you go to the next step. But life is not like that. Life mm-hmm. is not a well-aligned path. You know, you, you jump through one hoop and then you go next one and you're going to be your destiny. I think it's not. And children have learned to make their own destiny and make their own path. This is what uh, human life is about. Is you make your path on your way, you know. I know you wrote a book about world-class learners and how do you mm-hmm. think the skills of, you know, creativity and, and uh, innovation and passion, how can these be fostered in education? Well, I think first of all, you got to respect the individual. Uh, any great inventor, creator, entrepreneur has some... Uh, something unique to be respected. And if you want to be creative at a great I mean, I mean, uh, extent, you have to spend a lot of time to be disciplined. Creativity is not generic. So I think we need to start by respecting individual differences. Uh, every child has some strengths and some weaknesses. We should try to work on endorsing, supporting, and enhancing uh, the children's strengths, not trying to fix their deficit. In a traditional education, we are about fixing children's deficit based on some external standards. That's number one. Number two, we really have to uh, value children's passion. If they are interested in something, 
we should not too early judge if the passion is of a practical value or not. If somebody is interested in something, I think that I would be very delighted. If my children choose to be interested in something, I'm very happy. It's much better to, for them to be passionate about something. They are more likely to devote time and energy for that. Third, we need to trust that children, even given autonomy, they do take responsibility, and you want them to be responsible. Through that autonomy, they will learn how to fail. They're not going to be successful all the time. They can learn from their mistakes. That's very important in the resilience. I think in the Asian culture, we do not allow children to make mistakes, and they can never be bad. But life is not like that. Entrepreneurs, creators, suffer from a lot of setbacks. They have to learn how to do that. Finally, we have to just broaden our view of what learning means, what education means. Education is not just to simply memorize or to do what other people want you to do. And then, again, going back to your our original question about cheating, and a lot of times people cheat because they think uh, you don't really need to learn as long as you can pass the test and the reward is out there. And now I think all school testing, SAT and others included, are basically one way of uh, measuring if you are ready to go on to learn more. But uh, I don't think high-stakes testing do a very good job, and so we got to get rid of this testing as well. Those are the thoughts of Professor Yong Zhao of the University of Oregon. He's the author of Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Dragon? and World Class Learners. Thanks for tuning in to Ion China. I'm Natalie So. Welcome to Chinese to Go, the program where you learn authentic Chinese, the Chinese that we use in real life in Taiwan. What do you usually have for lunch? In this part of the world, most people have either rice or noodles. Let's listen to a conversation. Have you had lunch yet? 我们一起去吃饭吧。Shall we have lunch together? 你, you, 吃, to eat. 午餐, lunch. 了 is a particle in Chinese grammar. 我们, we, 一起, together. 去, to go. 饭, rice. 吃饭, to have meals. 我们一起去吃饭吧. The word ba at the end of the sentence is a particle in Chinese grammar. 好啊, okay, or great. 你喜欢吃饭还是吃面呢? 
Do you prefer rice or noodles? 你 you 喜欢 to like 还是 or 面 noodles 吃饭还是吃面 a rice dish or a noodle dish 都可以 either way 都 means both 可以 means okay 都可以 either way 我两者都喜欢 I like them both. 两者 both. 我对吃东西不挑剔的 I'm not picky about food. 对 about 吃东西 to eat. 不挑剔挑剔 means picky. 不挑剔 not picky. 有什么就吃什么 To eat whatever there is, 什么 means what or whatever. 那我们吃面吧 Then let's have noodles. 那 then 我们 let's 吃面 to have noodles. 最近天天中午都吃饭，想换胃口 Lately, I have been eating rice at lunch every day. I feel like I want a change. 最近 lately, 天天 every day. 中午 lunch. 换 to change. 胃口 appetite. 换胃口 to have a change. 太好了 That's great. 太 means very 好 Great. Now let's listen to the conversation again. 你吃过午餐了吗？我们一起去吃饭吧。好啊，你喜欢吃饭还是吃面呢？都可以，我两者都喜欢。我对吃东西不挑剔的，有什么就吃什么。那我们吃面吧。最近天天中午都吃饭，想换胃口。太好了 Before we end today's program, let's listen to the conversation at slow speed again. 你吃过午餐了吗？我们一起去吃饭吧。好呀，你喜欢吃饭还是吃面呢？都可以，我两者都喜欢。我对吃东西不挑剔的，有什么就吃什么。那我们吃面吧。最近天天中午都吃饭，想换胃口。太好了。
Thanks so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. I'm John Van Trieste, back in the studio once again with Shirley Lin and Paula Chow, and we're here to leave you with one more thing. We're just, we just seem to be sort of stuck in deja vu today. Uh, we also recently did a story about this, and it happened again. This is another controversy about weddings and red envelopes, those packets of cash you give out at weddings. Right. It happened in 2011. A college professor, um, you know, his son got married. And then, of course, he wanted to invite his friends and co-workers to attend the wedding. He sent them an email saying that if you don't have time to you know, come to the wedding, there's no need to give, um, give us a gift or a cash gift. However, if you do come, then please uh, cover the, the cost of the, the, the banquet. For, if you come just for one person, that's 2,000 NT, which is about 66 US dollars. Mm -hmm. For two people, uh, I will give you a 30% off. That's um, 45 US dollars per person. And if three of you all come, and then that's even cheaper, the same price. Okay. And this was in 2011, right? It happened in 2011. That's a long time ago now. A long time ago. And then, um, he, so he sent an email to his friends and co-workers. However, two media outlets covered the story. And they said, that, well, this professor set the price for his guests. And this professor was not happy. He said that, well, they have damaged his um, reputation. So he filed a lawsuit against them. Well, how is, he, how is that damaging his reputation? Because exactly? they said he, uh, they, he set the price. And that's like not a, acceptable. Right. It's not acceptable because the professor said he didn't set the price. Uh, he, what he did is he, he wants to set a good example for Taiwanese people because, um, you know, sometimes people don't really know, you know, how much they have to pay for the the, the wedding. It's a tremendous it, headache. And I don't is. really do weddings here very early, right. really, but uh, the people I know who do, and there's a, these are local people who've grown up in this culture and they still don't know what they're doing. And they're, right. all, they're very always worried about, oh, how, how are they going to take this? You know, is it going to be know. good? Are they not good? Right. Yeah. Depending it's a on how familiar you are with that person. But anyway, the, the professor said, well, I, I just want to set a good example. I mean, this is not too expensive it's it's a price that you know people would find it acceptable so he's not happy with the two media outlets he filed a libel lawsuit but the high court said well i mean they um interviewed the professor's co-workers everything is correct and then you know they didn't you know the, the two media outlets didn't damage the professor's um reputation so he lost a lawsuit i don't think oh. that's very damaging to his reputation i think that's a very reasonable I think it probably helped everyone out, I'm sure. I think so, yeah. Because you just know exactly how much you should bring, and there's no funny business about, well, why did you only give me that much? You yeah, know? Right. except um, I don't know how those two media outlets uh, reported the, mm. the issue, but... how they find out? Yeah, and um, you know how they exactly worded it, um, because I think for some people who read the report... For those who have used venues that are more expensive than if each person would only to pay two thousand, you know what I mean. So, so maybe, maybe they have complained to the professor for the fact that, well, who are you to set the standard when you know some people would choose more expensive venues and two thousand would not be enough to cover the I expenses. Know. I don't get that. I, I'm, I'm it's, thinking it's his son's wedding; they can have it wherever they want to. Maybe I he don't... should be suing those who may you know, like complaints about the reports, not exactly the media outlet themselves. Um, That's what I think. Because it really is a headache. I don't go to a lot of weddings, but uh, every time I'm always going, okay, how much should I put in the, in the red envelope, you know? And it's really an issue. And it's very different from Taipei, northern Taiwan, and south, yes. because southern part is cheaper, and you really don't have to put that much. So it's still that issue, too. 
my home. I don't know if that that uh, merited a lawsuit exactly, but I don't uh, know. There you go. It's just another reason that weddings in Taiwan cause headaches, I guess. Well, that's all we have time for today here on Radio Taiwan International's English Service. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow when we present Taiwan Today and live from Taipei. For now, though, from all of us here in Taipei, thanks so much for listening. for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.